The ETC ETF Insiders Podcast takes you behind the scenes of the ETF industry. Here is your host. Welcome to Episode 9 of the ETC ETF Insiders Podcast. I'm your host, Amanda, and our CEO, Garrett Stevens, is also joining us. You will remember him from his interview in Episode 1. And we are going to talk all about new energy and the corresponding new energy economy today. We will be joined by the president of Blue Horizon Capital, Tony Fusco. Blue Horizon Capital looks to provide A to Z investment solutions and exposures to the new energy economy. The way the world generates, delivers, and uses energy is rapidly changing, and Blue Horizon aims to capitalize via their Blue Horizon New Energy Economy 100 Index and the BNE ETF that tracks that index, symbol BNE. Welcome, Tony. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, it's great to be here. Happy to talk about the uh, the team and the thematic. Always uh, a fun topic for me. All right. Well, I'm excited to learn more, so let's jump in. Tell us a little bit about Blue Horizon's background and yours as it relates to the desire to create the Blue Horizon New Energy Economy 100 Index and the BNE ETF. Okay. Uh, Blue Horizon Capital is a boutique firm. Uh, We focus on three things, index creation, advisory work, and and we're a research company. Uh, We're wholly focused on helping investors capture the unique opportunities in the fast-growing new energy economy. And our definition of the new energy economy is key. Um, We're all aware of sort of an energy transition that's occurring, and it is creating this new energy economy. And as we get further into this call, that will be key to understand how we define the new energy economy. But the key takeaway from our company and our team, and, and what I feel is really a big differentiator, is we're a combination of folks that are industry experts and financial service experts. So my background is in asset management space, bank prop trading, hedge funds, and I did a stint in the 40 Act world. But the majority of our team members, and it's a team of 12, are people with backgrounds in the new energy ecosystem. So most of our team has spent 10, 20, 30 years in industry within the new energy economy. And it's this expertise that I think differentiates us from other products and other firms because our team has industry insight and intel that differs from what a traditional, let's say, analyst at a big bank or, or a, a traditional funds may have. Uh, we have proven executives in the leadership and operations all throughout the value chain in the new energy economy. Uh, truly a global network, access to all types of experts, not only C-suite experts, but commercial drivers, engineers in the space. And it really gives us a unique perspective in order to create this index uh, with this skill set. And, you know, I encourage everyone to, you know, go to Blue Horizon Capital's website and and take a look at some of the credentials of of the team. Uh, To give you an example, we have three ex-CEOs of the top five largest lithium companies. So uh, John Mitchell uh, ran Albemarle's global lithium business, Anthony Say, ex-CEO of Galaxy Lithium, and Tom Hodgson, ex-CEO of Lithium America. These are top five lithium companies in the world where we have this type of cal- caliber industry experts on our team. So I think that is 
really the big takeaway uh, from from the, and of course we have other financial service experts aside from myself uh, as part of that team, but we really bank on that expertise of the industry specialists. Um, and it's really from one of these industry specialists was the genesis of this idea for this product. So uh, I've been a lifelong friend of John Mitchell. Um, John has spent 30 years in the new energy space, and he's been preaching to me for 30 years about the coming electrification of transportation, the renewable uh, uh, transition from fossil fuels to renewable generation. And I always viewed the opportunity from a public market lens, and I always told him it's too early. It's too early. There's not enough ways to express an opinion. There's not enough public equities out there. And about three years ago, he really got my attention. And for a number of reasons we can discuss later, this is the time. You know, this is the time it makes sense to develop a product. And it really was sparked by John's willingness to invest personally in a product like this. So when he was sitting at the C-suite level in Albemarle, he was looking for a product like this, and he didn't see it. So we created it. And uh, that is really the spark of, uh, of Blue Horizon Capital and assembling this team. So... The link is myself and John Mitchell and sort of merging our two networks of expertise. Yeah, it sounds like you have a very diverse yet targeted uh, expertise in the new energy space. So primarily, um, we kind of categorize old energy as oil, gas, and coal. But can you give our listeners the definition of new energy and what the new energy economy encompasses? Sure. And, And this is really the key point to understanding uh, this index ETF product, BNE, we define the new energy economy very broadly. And when we were looking at the space, uh, we surveyed sort of existing products that existed. Uh, there's a lot of really good ETF products in the new energy economy thematic, but those products tend to be very focused and very segmented on one aspect of the new energy economy. For example, we're all familiar with solar ETFs or wind ETFs or electric vehicle ETFs or even lithium or battery ETFs. Very focused, very siloed exposures. Um, These funds tend to have high concentrations. For example, most of them, the top 10 names are 50% of the assets of, of the fund. And these are good products if you have very specific, you know, opinions about certain segments of the new energy economy. We wanted to describe uh, this ecosystem holistically, and we do that in five broad segments. And it really encompasses the way the world is consuming, delivering, storing, and generating energy. All that is changing in a very rapid way, very high growth way, and it's all driven by innovation technology. And, And so we bucket Um, this ecosystem into these five segments. We start first with energy generation, uh, the source of the the energy, and focus, of course, on renewables, namely solar and wind. And then we move to how this energy is distributed, how it is stored, and that storage of energy requires critical performance materials, lithium, cobalt, nickel, etc., And then ultimately, the last segment is the application segment, e-mobility. So EVs, 
drones, consumer devices. This tends to be the segment that most investors and most people are aware of because it's it's the products that you're using on a daily basis. Cordless power tools, you know, EVs. People see it, they feel it with their own their own senses, and and they don't necessarily understand the whole ecosystem, all those segments and sub segments through the chain. So. What we define as the new energy economy is truly holistic from the generation all the way through and use. And we wanted to develop a product that captured that, that broad based exposure. In many ways, it's what I view as, as a benchmark exposure. Because um, this is a new area, it's a dynamic space. It's often difficult to pick a benchmark. You know, investors want to compare this product to the S and P 500. They want to compare it to old energy. They want to compare it to very segmented funds in the new energy space. But it, those are difficult comparisons. What I really consider this product as as a benchmark exposure. And if you are an investor, if you're an individual who believes in this thematic, believes it's a generational opportunity, a 30-year thematic, high growth potential. Uh, this is a core exposure. And if you have a particularly strong opinion on solar, supplement the exposure by buying a solar stock or by buying TAN ETF. But this is meant to deliver a core exposure to the thematic opportunity. And our job as index providers partnering with ETC to make this ETF is let's get a framework that best captures the entirety of this new energy transition, creating this new energy economy, and let's let's have a balanced, smart, you know, holistically constructed product. Um, analogy I like to use: think Internet 1990s. Yeah, you know, I like imagine, it. Yeah, imagine in 1990 if there was a product that was a hundred global leaders and innovators in the internet space, B2B, B2C infrastructure, that would have been a really nice 30-year thematic product to own. Product didn't exist. Uh, we feel this opportunity set is equal to that. It's going to be multi-decade. It's not going anywhere. And I, you know, I believe having conversations with investors and people now, it's completely different than even three or four years ago because they see it. Um, you know, don't take our word for it. You know, listen to what every major auto OEM is saying. 500 new EV models, uh, all the dollar commitments to the space. So it's becoming an assumption that this is happening. This transition is going to be over time. It's not a switch. Uh, so it's a thematic that we believe has legs in terms of longevity and high growth potential. And it is a space that I think investors need to have exposure to. And frankly, they need to understand and learn about because um, it is complex. It's ever changing. And there are certain segments that many are familiar with, but there's lots of goodness in those other segments in between the two pillars of energy generation and the application side. And all that goodness is captured in this index. Tony, I think that's a good point. One of the, the things that I, I find fascinating about this product is the diversification among the overall industry that it provides, not just among names. Of course, it's 100 names, so you, you do get good diversification that way. You look at 
Tan and Rays and some of the other solar plays, for instance, they may have 40 names in them. This one, you know, gives you a lot more. But what you're able to do here is not make a bet on specific technologies and say, I think solar is going to be the one, or I think wind is going to be the one, or biofuels. You know, I'm certainly not smart enough to know which one of those is going to do it. And I, I suspect the average investor is not either. But the great thing about this fund is that it does give you the ability to make a bet on the space at large, which I think everyone will acknowledge is only going to get bigger from here. And the demand for this type of energy and then the utilization of that energy is just going to increase exponentially, you know, probably forever. Um, So you're not having to place a bet on whether you think wind or solar is going to do it. And if it's going to be a specific type of battery, you know, the great thing about this fund is it gives you exposure to all of those um, different areas in, in one easy uh, one easy fund. So I, I think that's something important to point out. Yeah, I think that's the, the great point, Garrett. And, and look, th- there would be a way to maybe reconstruct this exposure by buying three or four or five different ETFs and trying to get the proportion right. But it, this fund is doing it all and providing you that balanced exposure and really utilizing our industry folks' expertise in creating this framework. And and what are the changing sub-segments? What do we need exposure to uh, as the space evolves? And uh, I think, you know, your points are, are spot on about, you know, position size. You know, these are 100 names, 1% weights at rebalance every March 1st and September 1st. And investors don't need to worry about having a 15% weight in Tesla or making a large bet on three or four names and, 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 and you're up at night. Um, one of your points is, per, is, is, is really important. Um, you know, with these new dynamic bases, the winners and losers can be extreme. You can have extreme winners and you're going to have big, big losers. But when you limit your exposure to 1%, um, there's a natural risk mitigation. And, and often you don't know which one of these companies may ultimately be the winner in the EV space, but you have exposure to all of it. And uh, what we've seen really in the last couple of years, uh, sometimes all five of these segments, they move up together, they move down together. Uh, but often, you know, one segment's hot, one's cold, three are hot, two are cold. Uh, but there's only, always something in the portfolio uh that is performing or is of big interest. And, and in 2019, 2020, very, very good years for this thematic. Uh, all these five segments moved together to the upside uh, and great performance for almost every new energy product out there, no matter what segment you were focused. 2021, interestingly, was a very bad year stock performance-wise for the thematic. If you look across, you know, sort of the broad exposures, many, many big funds were down 25 to 30 percent in 2021. And a lot of it was coming off of the froth and the the big valuation gains in 19 and 20. But uh, a lot of it was due to solar having bad performance in 21, hydrogen bad performance. Uh, Certain segments did very well in 21. Uh, the material space, the EV space. And when we look at our performance of of this ETF in 2021, we were actually positive. Uh, When many of the big ETF, clean energy ETFs were down 25 to 30%. And the the answer is simply, we're more diversified product, you know, broad exposure, about a third Europe, a third North America, a third Asia, 
you know, the balanced constituent weighting of 1%, balanced across all these segments, and that created a smoother ride in a bumpy market. Uh, and that was our expectation. Uh, in a bumpy market, this product should perform that way because it's a high level of diversification. And then the converse of that is, well, how is this product going to perform to the upside? Is it going to be able to keep pace with these other clean energy products? And if you look at our one-year anniversary uh, from inception, we actually were the top performing fund out of the peer group of, of these of, of these clean energy funds uh, to the upside. So, you know, we believe that, you know, this is a prudent exposure. It's an exposure that gives investors comfort in knowing that they're getting the diversification, they're getting the balance. And... I, I think it has a wide appeal to not only retail investors, but I think particularly to professional allocators out there who really desire cover and comfort when they're picking a product, a product that does what, it, what it's saying it's going to do. We, we feel really good that this product is constructed to provide the exposure that we're saying. It is, it is the most broad-based exposure to this thematic. It is highly diversified, and it is monitored and constructed by industry people who really understand the space. And I think that's a really big value proposition to to investors. Um, I can also note, as a boutique, Blue Rising Capital is very willing and also uh, offers up to financial professionals uh, to be used as a resource. We want to have interactions with advisors, with you know, financial allocators. We want to talk about the thematic. We want to answer questions. We we will do webinars with 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 their clients and talk about the thematic or the index. So we welcome sort of that engagement, and we want to be a resource to people who use the product. And I think that's another important distinction when when you when you're working with a a, a firm our size in in a startup product. You know, we all, we're all aware of the challenges of of, of a startup product and. Uh, you know, I think our team is willing to have those relationships with, with users and and really educate people on the space. So that, I want to make that clear. We welcome it. Yeah, no, that that's right. And that, that expertise that you guys bring is really a, another big differentiator, right, between this product and, and others. That's something that, you know other products who who shall remain nameless have been built by folks who are just trying to gather assets and they think it's a theme out there that you know is going somewhere versus actual industry experts who who are in it and know the technology behind it understand the demand drivers and and the tailwinds that you know the sector has you know at its back it's it's just different and at ETC, a lot of our clients are that way. They come to us because they have an expertise in this area and really want to bring that product to market based on what they know, not just, hey, this is missing in the market. Uh, you know, I think it should be there. It, it's based on real life experience. And, you know, I think that's one of the big differentiators with this product is you have, rather than an advisor trying to pick their top five favorite stocks in the sector, you know, they can, they can utilize this fund that's actually built by experts in the sector. So I think that's, you know, a, a, a really helpful fact for, for investors to understand. Yep. We know that um, the world is kind of turning its head towards this new industry, um, this new energy industry. So 
Uh, you've kind of touched on this a little bit, but why do you feel that this is an area that investors should turn their attention to? And you also mentioned on your website that macro tail- tailwinds are providing momentum. Can you explain a little bit about these tailwinds and how they relate to the new energy economy? Sure. And, uh, you know, I think investors should consider an exposure to this thematic because it's it's a it's really a generational thematic growth story. And it's it, it, it has a place, and we, and we can talk about the way uh, investors are viewing this product and, and where it fits, but depending on how you allocate money, there are numerous places this, this can fit, and, and there are a lot of tailwinds supporting uh, the thematic growth story here. And, and the two most important ones really are cost reduction and efficiency. So this is leading to better economics and viability of these companies in these products, you know, to me, that's always and in the critical materials. The innovation always overcomes technology always overcomes. If you're going to bet against innovation and technology, you, you know, I would not advise to do that. So that's till when number one, till one, number two is that cost production and efficiency gain is all driven by innovation technology. So those are the big two. Then there's a host of other tailwinds that we can throw in, you know, the health and environmental concerns and issues, uh, public policy globally. You know, the U.S. has really been behind sort of what's happening in Europe and other places in terms of public policy. You have corporate and citizen advocate groups that are, are, are for this transition. Uh, you also have, you know, demand for electricity and energy is increasing on its own, uh, not only for renewable sources and decentralized sources and sustainable sources, but just the demand itself is growing. So, so you, you, you bundle up all these, these tailwinds coupled with, you know, those big two, cost efficiency, innovation, and technology, and you have a thematic growth story that has longevity. And, you know, one of the big tailwinds that I think doesn't get talked enough about is capital flows, investment flows, you know, depending on who, uh, you know, what bank you're reading or which experts you're listening to, this transition, this 30-year transition, let's say to go from fossil fuel based to renewable generation, is going to require between 100 and $150 trillion of investment over a 30-year period. Uh, last year, uh, investment in the ecosystem the way we define new energy economy was close to a trillion dollars. So we are truly in the first inning of a nine inning game in terms of a transition in investment dollars into the space. So I would add that as the fifth major, major tailwind. The capital flows into this space are going to drive valuations. They're going to drive innovation. And uh, it's just beginning. So it seems like as the innovation leads to better technology, it'll lower the cost, it'll make it more attractive for consumers and then investors to, to get involved in the space. It's precisely right. And, and you can see it. I think consumers can see it. Let's talk about electric vehicles. Uh, so choice, consumer choice has been a big reason why um, adoption rates are not, you know, 20, 30, 40 percent. But eventually, EV adoption rates are going to be 30, 40, 50, 80%. And 
I almost look at the pace of the growth as unimportant. I mean, the numbers are, are, are huge, whether it's 50% EVs in 15 years or 30% EVs in 15 years. Um, you know, there are roughly a hundred million cars, new cars produced every year. Um, you know, every 1 million cars is, is 1% penetration rate into EVs. You know, there are parts of the world where, you know, in, in, in Northern Europe where majority of the cars purchased are, are EVs now. Uh, but you're, you're going to have a situation where the objections, why people do not purchase an EV are quickly eroding, you know, range anxiety. They want at least 200, 300 miles. That's being solved. Better battery technology, better efficiency, right? Uh, more charging stations. They're getting added continually. Uh, you're, you're having consumer choice. Uh, every auto OEM is going to have multiple models to choose from. And then cost. You know, when you can walk into a showroom and the price of internal combustion engine vehicle is at parity with an EV, what are you going to choose? You know, maintenance costs, 80% less, fuel costs, way less, uh, you know, regardless of what your, you know, your, your, your vision is in terms of your ethos, your green, just from an economic perspective, what are you going to choose? And, and then performance, you know, most people, unless they've driven an EV, don't understand that performance wise, it'll blow away internal combustion engine. So, you know, one little sliver of this ecosystem, you can see, you know, all those tailwinds impacting, you know, you watched the Super Bowl this year, uh, I think every other commercial was an EV commercial. <laughs> it was. You know, so you're seeing the awareness. And, and that's a message that, you know, I try to give to, to, you know, financial advisors. You know, their clients are seeing it with their own eyes, right? They're seeing it in the application segment, EVs, electronics, power tools. And they don't really have this broad-based exposure to it. I think they need it in their portfolios because it's an invaluable sort of uh, portion of anyone's portfolio. Don't necessarily understand it all. They, they understand segments. And, and what we want to do is try to educate, say, look, if you agree with this investment thesis, this is a product that can give you that broad-based exposure. And we're not saying these other products are, are not good products, but they're very concentrated and specific products. Uh, that you may want to supplement this core exposure. You know, if you have high, high conviction on one aspect of the of this new energy economy, by all means, supplement that exposure. Buy some lithium stocks. Buy some cobalt stocks if, if you're a big, you know, proponent. But we always are striving to maintain this balance and, and try to pick these hundred global leaders and innovators and do it in a smart, balanced way. Give people that exposure and uh, really try to guide investors to holding this product long term. I think it's a mistake if you're going to try to trade it and time it every three months. Uh, you know, I think that's a frustrating endeavor. I really believe this product was built to be a core allocation, core exposure to someone's portfolio. Well, let's talk a little bit about the Blue Horizon New Energy Economy 100 Index. Can you explain a little bit about what the methodology is behind the index and how you kind of come up with these companies? Sure. You know, our, our methodology is kind of a hybrid. And, and you know, we want to utilize our industry expertise to define the framework. You know, that's, that's the important first step. So we have a six-member investment committee that formally meets every month. Um, and we discuss 
sort of the trends in the new energy space. And it's really about identifying the sub-segments that are important in each segment. And so this, in, this industry investment committee team defines the framework. You know, those five broad segments are typically not going to change. They're going to remain uh, for the foreseeable future, but they could change uh, and, and we'll have the ability to do that. But it's really the sub-segments underneath that change can change every six months. And the committee defines the framework. You know, what are the sub-segments we need? How much exposure do we want in each of those sub-segments? One name, two names, five names, et cetera. So that is really a combination of utilizing industry expertise, all kinds of data, and coming together on this investment committee to define the framework. Once we have this framework, we then have a quantitative process index methodology. So we start with a list of all the publicly traded companies globally, and we do some filtering. You know, we filter for market cap, has to be greater than 200 million USD. We filter for average daily liquidity, you know, average 30-day volume greater than 1 million traded. Uh, and then we do some filters for relevance. These companies have to be engaged in some aspect of new energy economy. And what this creates is what we call the blue horizon universe, universe of equities. From there, we have a quantitative model which scores each of those equities. So it's really based on four key factors. So we use a thematic revenue metric is about 25% of the score, a thematic leadership metric. So what kind of market share in its respective subsegment does this company have? A thematic growth metric is 25% of the score. And then we have what we call a thematic leadership score. Uh, and this is really based on the company's te technology advantage. What insights do, do we have into that? Is it a neutral technology or do we think it's better than class or worse than class? And these four broad uh, categories produce what's called Blue Horizon Capital Score. So we have the universe of stocks. It's been filtered. We produce a Blue Horizon score based on this quantitative model. And then we hand over this data to a firm called INDXX. So that's our index calculator firm, a third party. We hand over this universe, these rankings, all this data, and they actually populate the segments and subsegments with the highest ranked companies. So, for example, we also have some other guidelines. So each of the broad five segments must have a minimum of 10 names and a maximum of 30 names, so we remain balanced across those five major segments. But what ends up happening is the third-party index calculator populates into that framework we designed, and you have 100 names, equal 1% weights at reconstitution, rebalance date, March 1st, September 1st. And that's what we go with for six months. And one of the questions we get, well, why do you rebalance every six months? You know, part of our thinking there was, look, this is a dynamic space. These sub-segments can change, the weightings can change, and we want to have enough flexibility to adjust this index, you know, at least twice a year. Um, but we also recognize that in a new space like this, momentum is also an important characteristic. A lot of these stocks will run, um, and, and, and a lot will have big down movements, but you want to allow sort of them to play out over a six-month period. And then... When that rebalance comes, you have a natural risk mitigation. We reset all the weights to 1%. And uh, I, I think it's 
worked well, uh, you know, in the short period, the fund's been live, you know, uh, you know, 16, 17 months here. Uh, we've seen, you know, it, it's a short uh, track record thus far, but we've seen a variety of different markets in that 17 months. And if you were to splice sort of this record, you'll see that the performance has been really good and, and what we expected in a really brutal down period. It's been really good in the up period when the thematic was uh, was hot. So, you know, in terms of structure, we, we think we've captured something special. Um, you know, one of the questions we get is about valuation. And look, we try to remain somewhat agnostic to valuations. This goal of this product is to create the best representation of the thematic and the best companies to do that. Um, you know, it's not necessarily about the investor chooses uh, uh, entry points and how much capital commit. You know, analogy, the, the creators of the S&P 500 index, they don't tell you if the index is cheap or rich or you should buy now. I mean, my personal view is a long term holding. This is going to do very well. Uh, but we are set with the goal of choosing the best representatives. 100 leaders and innovators in the space. Uh, so, you know, a common question is, of course, Tesla is one of the names in the portfolio. Uh, it would be very hard to have an index of 100 names, leaders, innovators in the new energy space and not include Tesla. Uh, but it's not an opinion based on valuation necessarily, right? It's it's based on there are 100, there are one of the 100 leaders and innovators in this space. So, um you know, I like to say to investors, it's really about you making the decision, the valuation decision, how much you're putting into the equities. And, um, you know, we're trying to give you the best representation, the one ticket solution, as you mentioned earlier, the 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 core allocation to this thematic. And that's why I said it, it you will drive yourself crazy trying to time this product month to month. And I don't think this product was designed for an investor with that type of time horizon. It really was designed for professional allocators. You mentioned Tesla already. Can you give us an example of one of the other companies that's currently in your index and um, kind of how they're involved in the new energy economy? Sure. So, um, you know, we have a lot, a hundred really interesting companies in this index. And of course, if you go to the website, you can see, the list of, of all the index constituents, but I'll, I'll, I'll run through a few. Uh, so we have a company called Enphase, which is in our generation segment and the sub-segment is solar inverter. So this company is basically a worldwide leader in micro-inverters. So the basic idea behind a micro-inverter is to convert, manage, and monitor energy per, per solar panel rather than the entire array of panels. And Enphase is one of those solar companies that's actually making profits currently while experiencing hyper growth. Clear leader in the space, in the micro inverter space, solar inverter space. So they're one of the 100. You know, looking at, you know, another segment, um, let's look at performance materials segment and then sub-segment lithium uh, we love Ganfeng Lithium. This is a Chinese company. Uh, of course, we own many major lithium players. We own Albemarle. We own SQM in the index. But Ganfeng is an interesting one because it's really a greatly vertically integrated pr- lithium producer. Uh, three great uh, types of resources, brine in Argentina, 
uh, spodumene or hard rock in Australia and China, and even a clay resource in Mexico. It's also involved in other aspects of the lithium supply chain, uh, batteries, and, and so, and even recycling. Uh, so we love Ganfang as one of the top exposures in the lithium subsegment. Um, other examples, you know, we have a lot of in, in, you know, those are two examples of leaders. Uh, an example of an innovator in, in the uh, in the category of uh, energy storage, the segment of energy storage, and the sub segment would be next generation batteries. We have a company called Solid Tower, uh, you know, and this is sort of a is a Colorado based developer of next gen solid state battery technology. So replacing the liquid electrolyte solution in, in a lithium ion battery with solid state battery. Uh, with solid state material, uh, and then you know, very excited about future of lithium ion battery technology going to solid state, and we believe even anode metal will be solid lithium metal. Uh, this is a company that is on the forefront of, of 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 solid state batteries, and it's a potential major disruptor for for the battery industry. It's kind of a moonshot potential, game changing technology. You know, smaller company, uh, you know, billion and a half market cap, but an example of high tech company, moonshot potential, interesting technology that we believe that the industry is going to solid state that has big, big upside potential. So an example of an innovator. Um, but, you know, other names we have, you know, we are not demonizers of the fossil fuel industry. Um, we believe that this energy transition is going to require all players and even big utilities and independent power producers that are making the transition themselves from fossil fuel generation to renewable generation. So we have an Italian company called Enel, which is has a goal by 2030 of having 80% of their power production from renewables. You know, that is a leader and, and an innovator in our view and part of the solution. So I think it's very important. That to understand that, that we are not, you know, and I think the, the recent, you know, horrible actions with Russia and Ukraine has sort of created this extremism of view. We have to be all fossil fuels or we have to be all renewable. And the reality of it is this is a gradual transition. Albeit it's going to be a very high growth transition. Uh, but we need all players and, and a lot of the, the big, uh, old energy players are going to make the conversion. And so you will see some old energy players potentially in our index in the future as they start to cross that line, like Enel, where they're committing to making the transition, they're part of the solution. So I just want to make that clear. And, and um, we really view this product from an economic lens uh, versus sort of uh, this dogmatic, and although we believe in the cause and and and, and the benefits uh, to to this transition, we're we're viewing it as from a market perspective. Yeah, it sounds like you really aim to kind of cover all bases with good flexibility um, that allows you know for leaders and um, innovation and momentum to kind of all combine to uh, capture this space. Yeah, and 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 having a little mix of all of that is important. Um, you know, we look at some of the other products out there, and some of them are only U.S.-based listed companies, you know. And in our view, it, it really is impossible to have a holistic new energy economy uh, product if you don't have truly global exposure. Uh, 
So, and, and, and exposure all throughout the ecosystem um, to different types of companies, whether it be market cap, uh, to different geographies, uh, to different segments and sub-segments. It, it really requires all of it. And, and to me, that's the biggest takeaway. Our goal is to give you that most diversified, broad-based exposure to the entire thematic. And there are going to be times when it's all working together perfectly and it all floats up and goes up together and times when certain parts are going to do well, certain parts aren't going to do well, but, uh, you know, we're big believers in really all of those segments. And, uh, you know, if you press me, I would say that, you know, over long term, this product will perform very, very well compared to even S and P benchmark, let's say S and P 500. We're believers that this is a, a, a strategy and a growth profile that, has very strong potential over, over the coming decades. So just a question for me, since I have an expert with me, um, when it comes to new energy, is there one particular area that's growing at a faster rate? Is, is solar outpacing wind or, or vice versa? Is there one area where you're like, man, this is really where, where the innovation's at right now? Yeah. And look, another great question. I mean, we believe in solar over wind. And, and it's reflected in sort of the, the weighting allocation uh, in our sub-segments. But, you know, we like offshore wind versus onshore wind. Uh, you know, we're big believers that the performance material segment, you know, is really the choke point um, of the entire uh, interconnected segmentation. And you're seeing that a little bit now in the recent, you know, headlines from Tesla and lithium and needing, and we've been long time believers that the critical battery materials have always been the choke point. And the auto OEMs and other OEMs have not invested upstream to produce these materials. And they're starting to see that you're not going to get, you're going to have controlled rates of growth unless you have enough of these materials and there's not going to be enough seats at the table uh if you don't secure your critical materials and shore up your supply chain you're going to be in trouble as an oem and uh, you know we're seeing that and and one of the, the the big big messages we try to to hound to investors to pound into investors is these are not normal commodities lithium nickel cobalt rare earths they're all sub-segments of this index. They are specialty chemical products. So people have to get out of this mining mindset. And that's where the auto OEMs, I think, have really made a mistake. They're viewing these products as typical commodities. I need more rubber. We go order it. We need more steel. We, we order it. That's not how it works. Um, you know, these products require a lot of expertise to make because they're – and it's no – Coincidence that most of the big producers of the these performance materials are housed within chemical companies. So they're really hybrid. They're mining companies, but they're also specialty chemical companies. And they're producing a compound with a certain spec to their end user customer, whether it's a cathode maker or battery maker. And that product takes a long time. So if we were to go from resource definition to finished product, you know, it's a 10-year process that requires a lot of capital and a lot of expertise. And, you know, auto OEM, you know, there are many members of our team who have been in this space who, who were begging auto OEMs for 10 years to invest upstream. 
And now you're starting to see the headlines. There really will not be enough materials for all the players to secure. And so obviously performance materials, getting a lot of the the current news headlines with the big price run-ups, price of lithium, uh, you know, $12,000 to $80,000 a ton, you know, and then the nickel uh, during the crisis, uh, $100,000 a ton on the LA causing the LME to shut down. So, you know, these performance materials, critical battery materials have always been at the middle, the center of, of the whole ecosystem. And, you know, if you look at our team of experts, they really have a core expertise in the performance materials segment. And I think that gives them that broad level of exposure because lithium industry is really a small industry, but it punches way above its weight class in the importance. And, you are meeting with heads of state when you're running these companies. You are meeting with battery makers. You're meeting with OEMs. You're meeting with everyone in the supply chain. So your exposure, you're seeing all aspects of the new energy economy. And I think, you know, that experience from many of our industry team members is invaluable. And, um, you know, you know, three of our, three of our members were top lithium executives and, you know, sat down with Elon Musk, negotiated lithium contracts, et cetera. And uh, so that type of access, that type of experience, uh, it gives us a lot of insight to which one of these sub-segments is going to be heavier weighted or lighter weighted. And look, it's, uh, you know, it really is about, you know, slight tweaks because, there are a lot of subsegments and components to this index. Um, if we really like a certain subsegment, it may be three names versus one name. So there's a little bit of tweaking, but remember, we have to maintain a very holistic and balanced exposure to all of this because, as you see, you know, three months from now, uh, it's going to be a different aspect of this framework that is the hot talked about item, and then three months later, it's going to be something else. Um, which is fun because we always have something in the mix that people want to want to talk about. And sometimes it's about all of it. But, uh, you know, right now, sort of the topic of the day is is performance materials. And, you know, America is and, and, and the West is learning a really tough lesson about security of supply and supply chains, really in every industry, yes. but it's particularly noteworthy in this industry uh, because, you know, you have situations where China controls 50 to 80% of the market in in mining some of this stuff and, in more importantly, in processing it. So anytime you have a situation where one entity controls that much of a market, it's, it's scary. And uh, it's clear that the alarm clocks have gone off and uh, I think governments truly understand now uh, the importance of securing supply chains. And in our thematic, it really is. If you look at our graphic, go to the website, performance materials, smack that in the middle of all of these interconnected segments and subsegments. So we've always maintained it's the choke point. And uh, I think you'll be seeing a lot of investment, even you know, government, U.S. government now, uh, defining, putting these materials on the critical material list, lots of government funding. 
So it's going to step up and you're going to see that investment. And uh, particularly with prices skyrocketing, um, you tend to get more investment to try and bring more of these materials online. And and it's it's always a self-correcting system where things come back into equilibrium. But, uh, you know, despite these massive price increases in these materials, it doesn't translate into that dramatic of an increase in price for the finished battery material, uh, finished battery product. Um, you know, for the first time in probably over a decade, the finished battery product and pack went up slightly in price uh, because of, of, of these battery material inputs. But uh, typically the innovation and the cost reduction and all the other processes is able to offset even such dramatic increases in, in, in commodity input prices. So um, I would say, you know, we, the important point to remember is it's not so much about us picking the important, it's really about us picking the balanced sub-segment weighting. Um, you're never going to have to worry about a meaningful overweight in one aspect or another. And you're never going to have to worry about if you're an investor in this product in a single name overweight. Um, and I think that's what can give investors comfort. Oh, for sure. It's such an interesting, fast moving uh, segment of the economy. And I know I've loved learning about it. Um, we're going to transition to what we usually end the podcast with. We ask everybody who's um on, do you remember your first paying job and what was it? Garrett, are you going to start? <laughs> he actually <laughs> answered this on episode one, but he can tell you because it's quite funny. So my first, well, I've had, I've basically always been an entrepreneur. I didn't really have get a W-2 and <laughs> until when I was well out of college. But um, my first paying job was selling horse manure door to door for fertilizer for people when I was about nine we had horses and uh, so I would uh, bag it up and sell it to our neighbors my parents <laughs> told me not to tell anyone where I lived <laughs> <laughs> nice nice um, same here Garrett uh, <laughs> you know I always had uh, different jobs and you know mowing lawns and shoveling snow etc but that was not official you know, paid uh, employee. So my first job was at a farmer's market, uh, Joe's Farm Market. I grew up on the Jersey Shore. And uh, so you have these produce stands, et cetera. And, and because of the farmer exemption, I believe I was 15 years old where you could be a salaried employee. Uh, so that was my first paying job. I think it was $3.20 an hour. Oh, my goodness. In ni- 1986. Uh, but it was a lot of fun and a lot of hard work, and, and it was uh, I was able to start uh, as a 13-year-old because of the farm exemptions. Uh, and I always enjoyed a lot of different jobs over the years, but uh, I was glad that that one was over after the summer. <laughs> I can imagine. That's um, hard work. 
I love it. Uh, a lot of free, a lot of free produce at the end of the day. So yeah, that, <laughs> that works. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you would like to learn more about the BNE ETF or view the fund's prospectus, you can go to their website, bne-etf.com or call 1-800-617-0004. You can also learn more about ETC by going to our website, exchangetradedconcepts.com. Catch you next time. Bye.